Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Ritu Gupta is today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast. Ritu grew up in India, always knowing the importance of education. Defying odds, she earned a degree in engineering in India and immigrated to the United States where she worked later to go on to receive her MBA. In 2015, she founded Circled In, an award-winning 21st century recruitment platform matching high school students with the best fit colleges and universities, improving outcomes for both sides. Ritu volunteers her time for various causes she is a mentor at the University of Washington Foster School of Business. She's a wife and a mother of two amazing girls. Welcome, Ritu, and a friend. We have to put that part in. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you, Shauna. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, talking about things that matter, things yeah. that fuel people. I like it. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice little plug. Good job. Okay, I'm going to start with rapid fire. Uh, name a place that you have always wanted to go visit. Bora Bora. Bora Bora. Nice. That feels like it's a place you go for like your 25th wedding anniversary. Um, if you could have any magic powers like flying or being invisible or some sort of crazy magic powers, what would you be? What would you have? Remove the need to sleep. Oh, of course you would because you're like a workaholic. Like <laughs> you, you don't want to have to sleep. That actually is such a good idea. I never thought of that one. You get eight extra I mean, hours. I love sleeping though. I'm, Me I too. love to sleep. Okay. Um, what is your favorite Indian dish? Because I love Indian food. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I will say matar paneer. What it's is that? made of cottage cheese and green peas in a oh. tomato-based gravy. Uh, it's it's one of the royal dishes in India. Do you know how to culture. make it? Yes. Well, you have to make it for me. I'll, I'll, make tell you, you my... I'll make you something or you send me the recipe. It sounds, it sounds a little too healthy for me. <laughs> I'll tell you, my husband is a better cook than me. Yeah, so. mine, mine too. So I get that. What is a habit that you are currently trying to break? Oh, um, yeah. Interestingly, just a few weeks ago, I, I got addicted to watching TV at night just to unwind and turn off my brain. And I was thinking just yesterday, oh my God, am I addicted yeah. in just two weeks? Um, and I challenged myself to not watch it and see if I can remove yeah. that. Addiction. Good job. I haven't gotten there yet. And what about a habit you're trying to create? Oh, exercise. Yeah. What is a trait that you most admire in other leaders? Empathy, connecting with people. Yeah. Being in people's shoes is the most important thing I think a leader can do. Yeah. Well, since it sounds like you've been watching TV, maybe you're not reading, but I'm curious to know what book you're currently reading, if you have any time for that. Unfortunately, I'm not because I get so many newsletters in yeah. my inbox every day. That I have so to you're keep reading up with business. Industry. <laughs> right. 
Um, okay, I have two more questions for you and then we'll go on to the, the deep stuff. Um, well, this is kind of deep actually. What is your biggest fear? Fear of failure. I'm not surprised by that answer. Um, which American college or university would you have wanted to attend if you had grown up in the U.S. and you knew, knew then what you know now? Harvard. Why not Harvard, right? So tell us about your childhood. I loved, um, you know, we've obviously had our own conversations, but researching you, I learned even more. Tell me and our listeners a little bit more about your childhood growing up in India. Yeah, so I grew up in India um, in 70s, dating myself here, but um, I grew up in a household of all girls and my mom is a teacher because uh, when she had young kids, she had to quit her job and um, be home, but she is a very strong woman and she's career oriented and she said, I'm not going to just sit at home and waste my life. So she started an elementary school, um, an entrepreneurial feat, which was so hard for her. I know that. And um, I jumped in. I helped her with that school. Actually, I got dragged into it more like. Um, and uh, it was a very different time. There were no video games or internet. It's literally playing on the street. And there was no in my mind at that time, any gender bias. I had all boys as my friends. I had girls. There was no issue. As we grew in India, though, I will say I grew up as a rebel because soon I realized that um, being a girl is was almost like a curse, mm. especially if I did not have a brother, which I did Co not. You're saying culturally, because the things you've described so far sound like my childhood growing up in the 70s, you know, no internet and boys as friends. But what's the differentiator now that you've lived here as far as talking to your American friends? Huge. There will be people who will walk up to me and they knew I was smart. I was outspoken. They'll say, why couldn't you be a boy? <laughs> One of my aunt brought a boy to our house when I was 13 and she insisted my parents to adopt him. Wow. And what about the idea of getting married young and or is that, is that part of the culture also that you should, that the women should be kind of at home? Um, not in my family because my mom was working and we have very strange dynamics, which was a misfit from society's perspective. Mm -hmm. My mom was the strong one and my dad was more submissive. Um, he is an attorney and uh, he let my mom have her career, whatever she wanted to. And uh, he did promote us as like be strong achieve what you want to achieve and all that up stuff mm -hmm. so in our household that was not the issue having said all that marriage and wedding was a huge issue because uh, it was a culture of arranged marriage where parents find a matching groom for you right and then it's whole drama that happens where you literally become um an object Right. for those people um, and you are put on a show it's it was pathetic and I could not I could not accept that so I found a guy on my own and um, and he was from a different cast that's whole yeah. another equation and my mom said if you want to marry him you'll have to go with my dead body I said okay and I married him and you married <laughs> him and you're still married to him yes and now, 20 some years later, my mom's, my mom and dad, both my parents are bigger fan of him than me. 
Of course, that's how it always works, right? Don't forget, and, yeah. Yeah. So you opened up their minds. That's amazing. So, so tell me about your story as far as what brought you to the U.S. Only you came, right? Your sisters and your parents are still in India? That's correct. I actually came after I got married. So okay. um, before that, I was working in India and I came to U.S. on business trips. First time I came was 1995. And I came and I fell in love with the country because I said, this is the country I should have been born in. It was some glitch in the system that I ended up in India. Yeah. Um, and uh, so after that, when I, we went back and I got married with my husband, which was unacceptable by everybody in the society, I said, I do not want to live in this society. That's not accepting me. Within three months of us getting married, we packed our bags and we came here. We had wow. already Such decided. Such a love story. It's so romantic. <laughs> we had already decided that we, we cannot live in India. If yeah. we are going to get married, we'll have to leave the country and come here. And so, so you came here on business trips. Which city were you going on business trips to? Business trips were all to the East Coast, Maryland. And yeah. uh, there were three or four trips. Then in 99, we came permanently to Redmond area. Believe it or not, we came for six months. Mm. And those six months are still going on. The six months, everybody's got that same story, right? What brought you here to the, to the Seattle area? Uh, we got a job through a contracting company and the job was with AT&T Wireless. They okay. were starting this secret project and they, interestingly, they interviewed me on Friday night and they really liked me and they said, okay, we would like to come and join us on Monday. Can you join on Monday? Like people had no idea what does it mean to immigrate to another company yeah, uh, or another, another country. country. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, I need visa guys. And that takes two months. I can't yes. join on Monday. So I came, um, working for AT&T. My husband found another job and, um, we both came to Redmond have been here since then. Yeah. Wow. And so you've worked as an engineer, you've worked in consulting, you've had very high level, um, executive level operational jobs. Um, what would you say is your kind of special sauce? If you had to be like, I'm a, What's your ninja skill? Perfect combination of business and engineering. Yeah. yeah. That's an, that's a an really hard thing to find. Right. And, yeah. and personable and high empathy that, that combo is really hard to find. Um, so I'm not surprised. So tell me what led to, you've got your two daughters and um, what led to the idea of circled in? I think it's such a needed and awesome idea. I love the company. Thank you. Yeah, so do I. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was, uh, my daughter was applying for a school. Uh, it was 2014, actually. And uh, it was a very selective school. It was a private school. I'll admit to that. And um, it took me three weeks to put her application together. And even then, we were not sure what will click with admission officers. So we sent them writing sample. Here's a science fair project. Finally, she got accepted. But next application, we had to start all over again. And that got me thinking, you and I have LinkedIn, there must be something for kids because it's kids who do a lot more activities. They change school every three years. They apply to many applications. To my surprise, I didn't find it. I was like, wow, we are putting people in space and we don't have a secure <laughs> platform for kids to compile their accomplishments. Right. Um, so as an engineer and a mom and a business person, I found this market that was absolutely unmet need. Yeah. And I said, okay, I'm going to make one. And that was the genesis of Circle Day. 
And what, what is the business model exactly? Yeah, so CircleLane is like LinkedIn for students and colleges. Students can start even in kindergarten if they want to, but most of our students are starting in eighth grade. Um, they compile everything they do both inside and outside school in this secure manner, cloud-based, very user-friendly, because it's designed by high school kids, actually. We recruit mm -hmm. them. Um, and then colleges can come in, find the best fit students for their institution. Now, what most people do not know that even before your and my kid apply, colleges spend 10 billion, with a big B, $10 billion on their marketing funnel. When your kid takes SAT, ACT, they buy these name lists from those companies and they bombard these kids with flyers, emails, text, whatever. Each flyer costs them $25 to $125. And most wow. of the times, it directly goes to recycle bin, doesn't even come inside the house. So yeah. the Marketing techniques used them by them are very antiquated, very inefficient, and that is what we are disrupting. In our case, we go to colleges and say, look, we can tell you that Johnny played piano and Sarah was playing soccer. So you can actually find students who are more likely to enroll. Not only that, when they are good fit, guess what? Students come back to college, second year, they graduate on time, they get a job, they pay off their student debt, it's a win-win for it's everybody. It's an absolute win-win, yeah. So how do you access the, I guess you would have um, biz dev people or sales people reaching out to the colleges. Like how do the colleges learn about Circled In? Yeah, so our marketing strategy for colleges is inside sales. Initially, we had to scream in front of everybody, hey, here we are, we exist, and here's a new way to find students. Uh, we do go to conferences as well. Mm -hmm. So there are higher ed conferences and we try to do uh, pitch competitions. So for example, last October, EduCause is one of the biggest higher ed conference. And we pitched in that, there was a pitch competition and we ended up winning that. Um, and, I remember uh, that. I, I think I saw you right after, that's awesome. Yeah, and then we get a um, lot of publicity. We were in the whole snapshot of that conference video. We just published our first print ad in EduCost magazine and mm. things like that. So that, and just reaching out to colleges and showing them how to do their job in a much better fashion and at mm -hmm. a much lower cost, improve ROI on marketing, um, it's through the inside sales and base step. A lot of relationship building, absolutely. A lot of relationship building. And so what did you learn when the whole, um, that like William Singer guy consultant got busted for the big college admissions scandal last, was that last year? Last what year. happened through all of that? And did you yeah, change so anything in your system or in yeah. your application process through that? Actually, the funny thing is, um, even before that, there is a big debate that had been going on in higher ed industry that if SAT, ACT test scores, which are main criteria for admissions, are they equitable? Are they fair assessment of students? And there are reports after reports that say they are not. So there is a nonprofit organization that's pushing whole higher ed to go SAT, ACT optional. Mm -hmm. Have the holistic review. Uh, Pre-COVID, 1,100 colleges had made SAT, ACT optional. Last year, varsity blue happened so that immediately brought that issue on the main stage like you just need money because you need to manipulate one number and you get right. your kid in any college you right. want you didn't you know there's absolutely like 
nothing else to mon uh, to uh, manipulate just one number so that gave a really big push to that effort of hey you can do that let's go holistic and then after that um covid happened yeah so what covid did wow i want to hear about covid but i want to go back to before we go into that when you started the company i want to know how like i'm picturing you is it you and you and how did you did you bootstrap it Absolutely. 2015. So in 2014, I came up with the idea. And mm-hmm. this was my third startup on the side, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, um, I need to do better than a side hustle. So I went and interviewed 100 high school parents. And I said, am I the only crazy Asian tiger mom, even <laughs> though I'm not tiger mom, um, thinking like that, but we do have education as one of the main focus. So are there going to be other segments of the society who will be accepting circled in? Absolutely. And I got resounding yes. In fact, people said, oh, can I have it tomorrow? Can I use yes. it now? Oh yeah, no, exactly. Right when I met you, I was like, wait, we need this. Right. Um, So this was 2015. Then I said, okay, I need to quit my job. This idea has legs. This can be a billion dollar company. And in 2015 started totally bootstrapped. Um, Went and talked to a few angels. Now those days where you could get money with an idea on a napkin are gone. It was not there for me at least. So for three years bootstrapped, tap into every resource I could find. For first three months or so, I literally spent eight hours at Starbucks, even though I don't drink coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I met people like crazy. Like I had hundred plus meetings. And I remember this, when I quit my job, my LinkedIn contacts were 432. By that time, within one year, I was over 2000. And I met every single person. Yeah. I did not just connect with people if I had not met them. Now it's different. Yeah. I think that's time. incredible advice. I give it often. And especially right now with so many people looking for jobs, I'm like, your job is to have meetings and meetings and meetings and intros to network like crazy because that's, it's all about relationships. How do you think that your experience was shaped by the fact that you were a woman, woman of color, immigrant, the whole picture? I just knew I'll have to work 10 times harder than a white male in his 50s. And mm-hmm. I still do. That I fact do. has not changed. Yeah. yeah. How did you end up raising money and how much did you raise? Um, so first three years we did bootstrapping and uh, we made the website. Fortunately, both me and my husband, we have engineering background. So he was able to code it up for me. And I used this Kindle where I had the screenshots and I went literally to Bellevue Square Mall where there's a kid's area where moms sit or parents sit and I showed it to them. So that is what I did. And based on that, we built the product and we put that in front of K-12 schools, kindergarten through 12. And we did not go very far, honestly. Selling into K-12 was literally like moving a mountain and I could not. Um, Then in 2017, I was actually um, giving a talk at South by Southwest. Mm. And Mark Cuban was giving a talk at that time too. And I talked to him and he gave a talk where he said, in next five years, companies that are based off of data, AI and machine learning will thrive. That's everything will perish. And a light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, I'm sitting on such an amazing idea and I'm waiting for schools to adopt me. Came back 
back to the drawing board, need new marketing strategy, I need to go direct to families, direct to students. Um, three months was literally hitting the wall. Didn't know how to put everything together in a succinct manner because mm -hmm. it's a very complicated industry. Uh, finally, in August, I put this in front of those angel investors I had been meeting for almost three years before that. Mm -hmm. And um, I raised about half a million dollars at that time. Good they, for you. they liked what they saw in terms of business strategy, in terms of financial model and stuff like that. And we launched Circle in 2.0 in 2018. And it just took off. Like we yeah. started the year with less than 3,000 kids, ended the year with 100,000 students on Good the platform. Good for you. Ritu, that's amazing. Wow. Okay. And we so won every... Years have been good. Yeah. And we won every pitch competition we went to, including social venture partner. We are social enterprise. We have Absolutely. social mission. So we won social venture partner. And all this time, my existing investors came back and said, hey, I want to put more money. So mm -hmm. they put in more money. So we have raised about 800000 so far. And um, in 2019, we launched the college side. Now, as you can imagine, it's a double-sided market. We brought the students onto the platform. Now we have close to 340,000 students and we are matching them with colleges. We have about 10 universities so far very quickly mm -hmm. from Arizona State University to University of Pittsburgh, Bradford to Eastern Washington to smaller like Willamette and Corbin and uh, others. Tennessee yeah. State University, our first HBCU, we just signed on. Congratulations. And so you started talking about the business model. So the students don't have to pay anything. It's free to them. So the colleges pay to have access to the database. That's okay. correct. So colleges pay, and that's how the industry works. So colleges pay uh, for the student data that they want to connect with. So that's mm. one revenue stream. Second revenue stream is actually from high schools as well. Now, the funny thing was, once students started using it, schools became interested in us. So it sounds like you've had some incredible momentum. Um, you know, like all businesses, I'm super curious how the pandemic, COVID-19, this period of time has impacted your business and have you changed or pivoted in any way? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this was the biggest lemon life could throw at anyone, right? Yeah. So all yeah. we can do is make lemonade. Um, yeah. Yes, when COVID hit mid-March, this was going to be our big year. We had recruited a sales team. We had finished the training. We had launched our first sales campaign um, to in 11 states. And halfway through, bam, COVID hits. Everything stay at home order. Classes are empty. Campuses are empty. At that time, colleges were scrambling. So we knew there's no point in reaching to them. They yeah. are busy in fighting their own person. So we pivoted a little bit and we said, okay, how can we be helpful to our community, community mm -hmm. of students, community of uh, higher ed? We put on this research hat where we decided to conduct some surveys. Let's see what students are saying and let's see what colleges are feeling. So we had 1,100 students responding to our survey which was like how COVID is going to impact your higher education plans. And yeah. it, the, the findings were impressive, impressive. And it was one of the biggest surveys done in the country. So it got picked up by every major media. What did you uh, learn in this survey? 
So we learned that the biggest disconnect between students and colleges was students thought all the onus of college admissions is on them. If SAT is not happening, I don't have my test score. Oh my God, I cannot apply to the college. They did not know that we are in this together. Mm. So from student side, they felt they are alone in this game. So mm. what we became sort of bridge between these two groups, students and then colleges, we told colleges, you need to communicate more with your students saying, hey, you are making test optionals, you are having virtual events, you are giving virtual tours and all the support and how you are evolving, you need to communicate that to students. So we were able to be the bridge between the two. And then we also enhanced our um, website and we recently added, for example, free virtual event promotion where colleges can put their virtual events on Circle Jain and students can find that and then students can attend. Again, win-win for both sides. Students need to know virtual events and colleges want students to come and join their virtual events. So the thing is that gave us so much goodwill and results are astonishing. In last, I will say three weeks, things are a little bit more stable on the college's side. And the uptick in our demo requests are huge. Last week alone, I did nine demos. Oh, good this for you. This week, we have done five already. Yeah, that's amazing. And so what kind of trends are you seeing um, as far as ways that students will be thinking about their college experience differently? Are they, I mean, first of all, there's so many issues here. There's the budgeting part about like, wait, am I going to pay 60, 70, $90,000 to do online learning? Um, are people deferring? Like, what are you seeing as far as people's strategy around their college experience? Yeah, you are right on track actually there. So in our survey of those 1100 kids, 25% said that they are reconsidering their college plans. Mm. And 68% said their financial situation has changed. Now everything is intertwined. If you look at the unemployment, it's at 18% or so. When parents don't have jobs, they can't fund kids' education. And Kids fund their own education through jobs. So if I'm a high school kid looking to go into college, I'm thinking, okay, the experienced adults are not finding the job. Who's going to hire me? Mm -hmm. So students will not have that additional income that they usually rely on when they go to college. So financials are definitely making students to rethink. Two big trends we are seeing is one, staying close to home. Yeah. You know? COVID has brought families together, I will say that. Um, So a lot of kids are saying, oh, if something like this happens again, I want to be close to my home. Whereas previously, kids couldn't wait to run to the other side of the country to get away from parents. So that's one change. Two, there there was a debate even before that was happening online versus like what is the value of education in campus, in classroom. Mm. So that has resurfaced again. A lot of colleges have announced fall will be virtual and parents are saying, why am I paying full tuition if my kid is going to be online? Right. Um, So a lot of deferment is happening to the next year, Mm -hmm. but that's causing challenges for higher ed industry. One, because their revenues are going to be much lower for this class. And two, 2021 will have huge influx of older students. So for my daughter, for example, she's a junior. 
she's going to be applying in 2021, there'll be less spots for those kids. Wait, explain that to me. I'm trying to follow. I understand what you're saying, but I was also thinking what I thought you were going to go is to say, like, financially, from a budget standpoint, this is going to impact the schools, not just that one year, but four years, because if they yes. don't come in, then there's four years of lost revenue. Right. But how does it make less spots? It seems like it would make. So let's say fall 2020. And let's say overall in US takes numbers thousand spots mm -hmm. and they don't fill thousand spots. They only fill 800 spots mm -hmm. because there's a projection that it will go down by 10 to 50%. 20 is that number being thrown out. They fill only 800 spots. So for those 200 spots, they are losing revenue every year mm. because students don't come back in third year or fourth year or even second year. So lost revenue for those 200 spots for whole four years. That's one thing. Yes. Out of these 200, let's say 100 deferred, they come back in 2021. So now instead of 1,000 spots, only 900 are left because 100 spots are taken by a class of 2020. Mm. So for my kid, who's a junior right now, will be applying, she will have less spots to go for. And that means she will have higher competition of for course. admissions. And that is why platform like CircleLin can be helpful. Oh yeah, of course. And what role does the um, like social media presence have on their application? <sighs> Huge. Yes, I mean, is it weaved in so they don't, the college, I mean, as a recruiter, I know that once social media became available, I of course do back channel little social media yep. on certain roles, yep. not on every role, but um, is it weaved Absolutely. in? Is it part, I, I've filled out most of the application for my son, but I haven't finished it. I didn't see the social media part. Is that in there? They don't ask you. They're not going to ask you, but they are going to check you out for so it's sure. Separate. It's not within this. It's not big. It's not in the back end of the circled in application. It's separate. Yes. So today, before circled in, if your kid is not using circled in, you fill out a regular application. Colleges get that. They go check out Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever. One third of the times, that acts as a negative input to the application. With circled in, bring that into the equation, you are suddenly balancing it. You Absolutely. are showing your professional self, my yes. strengths, my talents, and oh yeah, sure, I had a red solo cup in my hand on a beach, in a party. In, uh, a, in a string bikini. <laughs> yeah, but look, I'm a yes. great pianist, I'm a yes. great soccer player. I volunteer, I'm an absolutely. Yeah, that right. makes sense. Okay. And so what about, um, you know, all the sporting events and all the funding that, all the revenue that comes in for schools through all the events that they host? How are these schools going to survive? And, and what do you think this is going to mean for the economy as a whole? Many will not survive. It's, it's known. Everybody knows that. In fact, since COVID started, just in last month or so, uh, I think over six colleges have declared that they're closing their, their campuses. Um, there are multiple issues here. One is their fall revenue may not come. Of course, mm -hmm. enrollment is declining. So that's lost revenue for four years. Of course, the need for financial aid is going to go up for the of students course. who are coming in. Yeah. And a lot of campuses are being sued by parents for refunding their room and board fee for spring. And that is putting a huge dent in colleges. And they're like, we can't do that. So there was a stimulus package that was given, but it had so many strings attached that colleges cannot use that money for purposes they want to. Mm. There will be many campuses that will consolidate or that will just pure shut down. 
Yeah. Uh, and oh. that is going to happen. What a, what a shame. What a crazy, crazy yes. moment in history. Yes. And combine that with all the, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and all of the things that are kind of hitting our society all at once. How does Circled In kind of play a role in ensuring that there's more equity and more of a balance of power? Because you look at some of the kids who are like, this one has a tutor and this one has, you know, someone paying for their SAT scores and all these other things. How do we level the playing field? What role do That's you exactly our tagline, actually. We are leveling the playing field of college admissions mm -hmm. because you are absolutely right. Just to give you some stats, at-risk youth, kids go to college at 30% lower rate than typical kids. And at-risk includes first-generation, low-income, um, immigrant families with illiterate parents and stuff like that. It's a federal definition of at-risk. Mm -hmm. They go to college at 30% lower rate. Our goal is to reduce that gap in five years, we want that number to be lower. That's our social mission. And how we do that, we actually work with Title I schools and nonprofit organizations, and we bring these kids onto the platform. Now, these kids are not taking a city ACT even before COVID. And when, let's say, University of Washington reaching out to kids, they don't see Johnny from South Seattle. They don't see Adam because he's not on the radar. Mm -hmm. But if we bring these kids on Circle Day, they come in and they say, hey, Johnny, yeah, okay, we have this program for immigrant families so kids can see that they have support. And oh, by the way, $2.4 billion financial aid went unused last year. So don't tell me that it's the money that's keeping these kids away from colleges. It's much more than that. We need yeah. to bring these kids on the stage and put them in front of colleges and start the conversation. And how and do they find out about Circled In? Because we directly reach out to nonprofit organizations. That have access to the kids. Right. And are the nonprofit organizations also coming onto your platform to figure out which kids they want to help support? Uh, not necessarily. They that could be an in. interesting, I'm thinking like, yeah. oh, that would be actually really interesting if it was like, I've done some work with different organizations that um, help kids with that next step from high school to college. Mm -hmm. And it would be interesting to see what yeah. role they, I'm sure they would want to have access to all those kids too. And then I was thinking as I was filling it out and thinking socioeconomic, like our income level, our demographic, as far as our ethnicity, you know, what, what, um, what things our children are involved in, do those things get some sort of algorithmic rating or is it all just stuff that they're reading through? Um, no, like, there are is they weighted? Rating. Like this, you get a little weight for this, a little less weight for that. So right now, no, but there is an algorithm that calculates the overall profile completeness, which mm -hmm. is used as a metric by colleges. We are working on a proprietary algorithm and you'll probably love this. It's very futuristic. So what it does is, I'm a student, I'm John, and uh, here's my portfolio. Hey, Circle Dean, tell me what are the top five colleges that I should go to that are good mm. fit for me. And the criteria is that I graduate in six years because that percentage is 60% right now, which is pretty pathetic. I think we can do better as a nation. So that's one algorithm we are working. On the other side, let's say, and uh, I'll use Arizona State University that's using Circle Lane. They come in and they say, okay, show me students who are most likely to succeed on my campus. So they have, let's say, 100 students and every student has a score for ASU. 
each kid will have different score for different campus. So that is what we are working on right now. That will bring artificial intelligence and machine learning into the equation and using it to make a real life difference. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. It feels like um, as I'm talking to you, I get kind of chills in a weird way like you are it's a revolution in a certain way yes. and it's it's a movement versus just like oh this company and this product it's like we can actually make a difference in such a significant way yes. no wonder you want the magic power of no sleep because you've got so much to do i'm like yes. let me help what are you losing sleep over at night and how can our our listeners help in any way Oh, well, first of all, thank you for the offer. We'll take all the help we can get. I'm not going to say no to that. Um, if you are a parent of a high school kid, go use it. Give us feedback. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. And mm -hmm. then go talk to your school and say, hey, why don't you use Circle in, in your school? Now, imagine if your kid's teacher uses Circle in advisors, counselors in the school, they will know your kid inside out and in 30 seconds, they can learn about them and they can help them more efficiently and effectively mm -hmm. by looking at holistic story of your kid. So that's one yeah. thing. And if anyone is connected with universities and colleges, we definitely always appreciate any introductions we can get. Yeah. Um, so that's another thing where we can use help. Always. That's great. Well, I, as you know, I'm very passionate about learning about businesses. Um, yours in particular is incredibly inspiring. Um, and as a woman, you are setting such a good example for your daughters and all the women listening. I know it's scary to have your own company and to put it all on the line, um, but it's, it's really cool what you're building. It's awesome. Thank you. Um, so on the, on the personal side, what are you doing like COVID-wise or pandemic-wise to kind of like keep your mental health and find time for you? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Exactly nothing. Um, well, like I said, I started watching TV two weeks ago yeah. because I was just well, that losing lasted my a mind. whole two weeks. You're much better <laughs> yeah. than me. I'm like, I've binged like 18 shows already during pandemic. That's funny. <laughs> You're more disciplined than yeah. I am. Yeah. Um, because yeah. there's so much work to be done. Like yes, there is. we feel like there's so many hats we, we can wear. Like just this morning we said, okay, we are going to bring virtual tours for every university on our website students goes and searches for a college they will see virtual tour they'll click on it it will take them to the virtual tour and they don't have to do campus yeah. visit yeah so. can you just pull that off of the websites that already exist or they don't let you do that yes yeah yes we can. you don't yeah. have to like re-record it or something you know you can that's just pull act. it in well that's yes. good i always ask at the end um your ultimate what fuels you what fuels retail i want to leave a legacy when I was a kid, I always thought, I don't want to be that ant on the ground that gets squished and dies and nobody notices. I want to be like Nelson Mandela or Mahatma Gandhi. If I die, the whole world cries. That fuels me. Wow. When I die, I want whole world to cry. Well, you're going to leave a legacy. Mind. Think of all these lives that you're already impacting. I mean, That's, seriously, how cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I hope I get to see you soon. This is, I'll settle for my air hug and, and seeing you over video, but when yeah, we get to hug you. again, I'll give you a big tight squeeze and you yeah. won't be able to stop me. <laughs> I'm a big hugger too. Me so too. I would I love know that. that. 
I'm missing that now, actually. I know, me too. Me too. I get it. I totally get it. Sending lots of love and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. Thank you.